Wow, looks great to see you tonight. Look at your neighbor and say, man, you look good tonight. We reserved a beautiful, sunshiny day for you. So thankful you came tonight. Thank you, thank you, thank you for our pastors that are with us. Uh, we're happy to see Randy from the Vineyard, and we're happy to have our mayor with us tonight, Pastor John Christian. He's here with us tonight. Wow, awesome, awesome. And uh, you're in for a real treat. Over 30 years ago, I attended James Robinson Bible Conference, and little did I know that my life was about to be hit by a storm that would be devastating. And in that conference, I met a young preacher by the name of Rick Godwin. He was preaching, and I thought, man, if I could say it, that's how I'd want to say it. And I um, went over to him at breakfast one morning, and I said, I pastor a very small church in Virginia. I really would love for you to come and, um, and just impart to us. And he said, call my secretary, Judy. So I did that. He came to Virginia, and God began developing a, a lifetime relationship of over 30 years. Relationships are worth working on, right? And the amazing thing about it is that when I was ready to just chuck everything in and give up, the storm was so big, Rick said this, and I've never forgotten it. He said, others may leave you, but I will always be there for you, and you can count on me. So many times when I would hit the critical point of I can't make it any farther, I'd get a phone call from Rick almost every day there for a while. And how you doing? Anything we can do for you? What can we do? That makes a difference in your life of people that invest. My life is better because of Rick Godwin. My life has changed because of this man. I, um, I love to hear him. He makes the um, uh, uncomfortable comforted, and those that are comforted, he makes you feel uncomfortable. So just get ready tonight. Get your Bible out. Get your notes out. And at the end, we're going to receive and honor him a very special love offering, as we always do. But I'd love for you to give him a warm Father's house welcome as he comes tonight. Pastor Rick Godwin from San Antonio, Texas. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you, guys. Well, the government takes our taxes, and now they take an hour from us to sleep. <laughs> Stinking dumb policy. Absolutely. If you ever want to check out what we were raised on, this is for the farmers, this is for the crops, so they can get an extra hour. It's nonsense. It's not true at all. came out of World War II. But if you Google it, you'll see the history, and you'll wonder why our government, like some states, Arizona, banished it and says, leave the clock alone. Yeah. Right? Thank you, bro. Come on. I'm with you, 100%. It's a stupid, dumb rule, and that's what you get when you get bureaucracy, dumb policy and rules. Well, I feel better now, okay? <laughs> then you have to beg everybody to get up and come to church early and give them free coffee and free donuts or something, a, a BMW, something, you know, to help them out to come. I'm glad to be here, and uh, it's nice to come each year to see you, see the church growing. Uh, I appreciate what Terry said about me, but I would think one of the stronger benefits to his life is Marianne Anita. I think that probably did more uh, for him than anything I could ever do, and it's great to have a team, you know. It, it takes teamwork to make a dream work, and teamwork only works when everybody on the team works. Sometimes everybody doesn't work, and so much for teamwork. Well, tonight was thinking about what to share with you. The most dangerous word in the English language is the word someday. If you look at your calendar, there is no day. 
called someday. Someday I'll be the father I need to be. Someday I'll lose weight. Someday I'll be more generous. Someday when I, when I graduate from high school. Someday when I get married. Someday when we have kids. Someday when the kids leave. Someday when we pay off the house. Someday. And someday never comes. Never comes. And people let their whole life blow by waiting on someday that never comes. May I suggest you don't even have a promise to finish this day, let alone tomorrow. In fact, the Bible says, don't be bragging about tomorrow. You had not made it home yet. I tried to come from Orlando to Leesburg with Terry driving, and I felt like the children of Israel in the desert. We got lost. I had to shave again. I don't know where we went. He had to rotate the tires and change the oil. I said, do you know where we are going? This is your home. It took forever to get here. Someday. Someday we'll get to Leesburg. That's what I was thinking too. Well, let me read. Let me read from Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountain to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and a boat was already considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was strong against it. Shortly before morning, dawn went out to them. Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said, take courage, you wussies, it's me. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter said, tell me to come to you on the water. I don't know what the dude was thinking, but he must have been on drugs to make a statement in a storm like that. And Jesus said, come. Now, he didn't give him any instructions. Anybody notice that in Leesburg? Like, how do I come? You going to send me a wave runner? You want me to do the breaststroke? You going to send Shamu? What are we talking about? Come. God doesn't give you any details. He just gives you a command. And it's up to you in faith to take a risk. And most people won't take a risk. And faith is always spelled R-I-S-K. You can have faith jewelry. You can preach a faith message and have zero faith and never take a risk. When is the last time you've done something for the first time? I'll measure your risk factor real quick. But the measure of your life is going to be in taking multiple risks throughout life. Not foolish, not, not crazy, but definitely risky steps of obedience. So Peter jumped over the side of the boat and walked on the water. You know, nobody else in humanity other than Jesus and Peter could put on their resume, walked on the water. The rest of his life, nobody could match that. So he walked toward Jesus, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind stopped. Then they were in the boat, worshiped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I read recently a scientific study that said people who breathe are at risk of dying. 
It's a fact. Apparently, the act of breathing air in and out repeatedly will without a doubt lead to your death. Now, if that scientific study is to believe, and I read it on the internet, so it must be true, then living has a 100% mortality rate. It is appointed unto man once to die. I don't care if you drink barley green and you eat roots on a tree and you're on the keto diet and you eat organic, you will die. You'll get lost and die in a car driving with Pastor Terry. You could get hit on this parking lot. You may not even make it home. We've had that happen to people in church. Now that's kind of scary if you share the same sentiment as an actor in Hollywood who said, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it by not dying. Well, too bad. Good luck with that. Every single one of us will have a day that's our last day. So the question is, what are we going to do with the days we have left? And I want to talk to you about live like you're dying because you are. Every day that tick on the clock is counting down to God's numbered days you have in His book. And you and I don't have the privilege of knowing when that day is, but it's coming. And for those of us that have passed midlife and are in the senior years of our life, if I get any older, I'm going to be in an age group called deceased. Uh, some of you are further along than me. Don't be laughing at me. So the question is, what am I going to do with the days I've got left? How can I make the most of this one life I've been given? How can I make sure that the breaths between the one I'm taking right now and my last one will be used wisely? I think the best guidance for answering that question is to talk and inventory people who are taking their last breath, people who are on a deathbed. And my inspiration came from reading an article by a hospice chaplain who talks and cares and ministers to people in their dying hours. And she asked them the question, what do you regret most? If you were given the chance to do your life over, what would you do differently? I want to listen to somebody taking their last breaths to see what they would have said. And one of the common themes shared by these patients was they wished they had taken more risk. They lived too safe. And as a result, they didn't enjoy the potential of an abundant life that God promises every one of us. And by the way, even if you're a minister, you can live as small as a pygmy. I'm afraid. Somebody might not come. Who cares? Try it. What you got's not working. Try something that is. It's funny how good old uh, Alabama, Georgia, Florida fishermen's got enough brains to know if they're not biting that bait, change the blooming bait. For good, if what you got isn't working, try something else. What's what's? Do, do I need the Holy Spirit to tell me that? Oh, shabba shabba shabba. I'm thinking, shut up and change what you're doing. It's not working. So, I mean, God gives us a lot of leeway in how mythology and technology and music, you don't have to be frozen in 1950 or 1960. You can walk into a church and smell what generation they got trapped in, and they never got out of it. And then they don't reach the next generation. 
They have nothing to say that anyone's listening to. The only thing that doesn't change beside your waistline is God's Word. But technology and music and style and methods are shelf life. They've got a temporary assignment and they expire. And boy, you can walk into the average church and say, dude, you've expired. Get it off the shelf. Well, that's just a fact. I don't even like the music my kids like. And now my grandkids represent another generation. I don't like their music. I'm a 60s Motown guy. I love, but they don't make music like that anymore. So I'm just saying to you, if you penalize the next generation because the kind of music they played when you got saved or came to church was the music, if it's good enough then, it's good enough now, it is not. It is not. So I'm urging you, lay your life down for the next generation. I do things with my kids and my little grandchildren I would never do for myself. But it's for them, and I love them. So you can't live for yourself or you'll live small without impact, no legacy, and you won't leave a footprint when your old body falls to the ground, and nobody will care. Well, looking back, these people in a hospice realized they worried too much about staying safe and being comfortable. They didn't take the chances and seize the opportunities that could have led to a life of more success and a lot more significance, greater satisfaction as well. And now in the dying stages at the end of their life, when they have no reason to fear, they recognize now what they missed out on by not taking more risks. I don't want to die in a nursing home on a bedpan saying, if only. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. That ain't going to happen in my life. I'm going for it. At least my wife can go over to my tombstone and say, at least the sucker tried. I'll give you credit for that. I'd rather try and fail than not try at all. That's got to be the greatest failure, I believe, and the church is filled with it. The president of Coca-Cola said this, and I quote, The moment you let avoiding failure become your motivation, you're down the road of inactivity. You can only stumble if you're moving. If you don't have a few failures, you're not taking enough chances. Nobody can be right all the time, he says, and the big companies didn't become big by playing safe, and neither did the churches. You've got to take a chance. You've got to take a risk. Wise counsel, scriptural boundaries, but at the end of the day, you have to step out and take a risk. And faith always has the potential. It might not work, but it might. And we'll never know till we try. You know, when are you going to start that business for yourself? Mark Earhart was the vice president of beverage sales throughout the state of Texas, made millions for the distributor, and I begged him for five years, Mark, you can sell fur coats on Miami Beach. You, you, you're making this company millions. Build your own business. Start your own business. You make great money. But he was afraid. He was afraid. He was afraid. That was five years I begged him. And then Mark did it. And now Mark has three businesses and a fourth on the Dorong plan. And he hugs me and thanks me every day. And I'm mad he didn't do it five years ago because he tithes. <laughs> I want to bless that man. I want to bless his business too. Fear is a powerful motivator. Fear can be healthy, but it can keep you from doing a lot of things. 
you know, think about how the news preys on our fear all the time. Why the food you eat may be dangerous. Why your clothes may not be safe. Why your vacation spot may result in murder. What's next? See? Or think about how fear dictates what we drive. First, there were seat belts, then shoulder belts, then both, then lock brake, anti-lock brakes, then front airbags, then side airbags, then top and bottom airbags. Soon we're going to be driving around on a freaking marshmallow all over the place because everybody's afraid. Fear is a powerful motivator. Author Elizabeth Kubler-Ross writes that almost all fear, every fear you and I experience in life, boils down to two root fears, two basic fears. The fear that I won't survive and the fear that I'm not good enough. The fear I won't make it, just like Mark. What was he afraid of? Leaving that nice check and the security of his comfort zone into the possibility of making more or not having enough. And that fear of not having enough, of not surviving, kept him held back and kept a lot of people from starting businesses, from doing a lot of things that was in their heart to do. And I'm not good enough. So people sit in a church pew. They don't use their talent. They don't serve. They don't do this. Well, I'm probably not good enough. I'm probably not good enough. Well, then you'll sit there the rest of your life. You'll sit there the rest of your life. I never felt good enough to do anything either. I just did it. I just got up and did it. I had powerful, motivating people say, just do it. So I said, okay, but if it fails, it's your fault, but I'll do it. And I did. And you never know. You know, you, by the way, whatever you've got, if you'll sow it, your life, your time, your talent, your skill, some servant, it gets bigger. When you give it, it gets bigger. And so if you want to grow, you're going to have to get involved in some way. Live like you don't have tomorrow. Seize the day. You know, seize this moment. Live fully in this moment. So people won't take a lower paying job that's a lot more fulfilling because I'm afraid I won't make enough money to survive. I'm afraid to go out and, uh, on a date. I, I, I'm not good enough. She won't like me. Well, dude, you got no going for you now. Why don't you just ask her? She might say yes. You know why pretty women marry ugly men? Because he asked her. I mean, they, women just sit around waiting and waiting and waiting. I'm going to run out of eggs waiting on you. That's a fact. It's just, I'm a, I go, I'm a master asker. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. He didn't, he put, he put a limit on what you can ask for. I think some of you just act way too small. Ask big, audacious prayers. Don't let this beautiful little town called Leesburg or some of the surrounding sweet little nice towns, they are, they really are, but it's small. And the thinking is small. And the churches are small. And you think, people, you don't expand unless you go places, meet people, read books. You'll stay shrunk. Your potential is huge, but you'll just stay small. If I took you from Mule Shoe, Texas, you can Google it, Mule Shoe, Texas, and the biggest church you had ever seen was 200 people. And I took you to Seoul, Korea, and showed you a church of 500,000 when you got back to Mule Shoe, Texas, it'd be the same. But you'd never be the same because you know it can be done. And every step you take, every building you build here at Father's house, every time you make innovations, you're raising the bar. So some little dipstick can't say it can't be done. The demons are too strong in Leesburg. People won't do it. People won't pay for it. People, oh, shut up. 
you think like a pygmy. God says, you, you know, whatever you ask in faith, believing, I'll give it to you. So I want to, I ask him for a lot. I'd rather ask him for too much and have him say, hold on, dude, back off. But nowhere in the Bible did he ever tell anybody that. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. If you can ask it, God says, shoot, I can do better than that. Make my day. Or whatever you can think. God says, I, got, I can think way bigger than that. Come on, think big. Nowhere does he say, now calm down. Calm down. Take a seat. Don't get too excited. Don't do it. But somebody somewhere didn't calm down. Steve Jobs didn't calm down. When everybody says, they, you won't sell five computers in the world with Bill Gates and he together. And then what use have people got for computers? Let me tell you something. Steve Jobs, in a garage, changed my life. I used to carry a 30-pound briefcase because paper is wood, traveling the world. Now I travel with a simple iPad with hundreds of pieces of information and messages, and I never carry a briefcase again. I got no cramps, no strain, no heavy weight, just one iPad. I can watch movies. I can find out stuff I never knew. Just said, Siri, and she'll tell me anything I want to know. <laughs> Somebody said, I wonder how many people live in that city. Siri, how many people live? Boom comes right up. Think about the technology we have today. All the wonderful innovations you and I enjoy so freely right now. How about a dumb cell phone? Not dumb, but a smartphone now. I grew up on a rotary phone. Big numbers like this. And a party line. Anybody remember that? I can actually remember a dial tone. Now we have speed dial, but it's a button. Right? Yeah, just so you think. Now, Uber's challenging taxis. There's no more blockbuster video. Now we got Netflix. The world is screaming by, and we're stuck in 1950, 1960. I'll refuse to do that. And I'll tell you, you don't believe it either because you've changed your hairstyle. You've changed the, well, some of you. You've changed your dress. If I go back and look at your high school annual, I say, oh, my gosh, you'll look at it and scream. I can't believe I wore my hair like that. I can't believe I wore that. I can't believe I wore a leisure suit back in the 60s. Like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, I wouldn't be caught dead in that thing. You see, what's happened? Fashion, style, technology, music has moved on. I say again, truth never changes. But everything else does change. And if you don't change, God will just walk right by you waiting on somebody who says, I'll take a chance. I'll change the order. If I get fired or hired, I'm going for it. One of the two. And I've lived that way most of my life. You can do the same thing. Terry and, and uh, Anita, you know, when they came here, we met in a Shoney's. It looked like some roach-infested, broke-down, dilapidated, tornado, hurricane, damaged, kind of a rotted place. Well, look at today. This didn't get here by luck. You know, the governor didn't invite him to come in and say, we'll sponsor you. This had to be risk, and it, had, it took great people and giving and sacrificing, persistence. I mean, anytime you try to do anything that God said you to do, whether it's in the secular world or spiritual world, all hell will go online to oppose you. But God says, that which I have begun in you, I will perform it to the day of Jesus. If God started it, God will finish it, come hell or high water. He will. So these two fears paralyze us and keep us from taking risk. 
So that's true for Peter in our story. They're in the middle of the lake, the fourth watch of the night. That means that's around 3 a.m. The disciples had been rowing and bailing water for up to nine hours, not making any headway. The wind was against them, and you and I can have a days like that, seasons like that, when everything seems to be against us. So the disciples are battling the wind, the storm, and the sea. Jesus comes to them, walking on the water, and says, take heart, it's me, don't be afraid. And Peter, who's the most impulsive of all the disciples, immediately asks to come to Jesus on the water. Now, some theologians scold Peter for putting Jesus to the test. I don't see it that way at all. Peter wanted to be where Jesus was, and he wanted to step out in faith. So Peter steps out on the water and starts to walk to Jesus. You know, there's two kinds of people in this world, sinkers and floaters. Yeah, my uncle was a floater. He could lay on his back in the swimming pool all day, arms outstretched, and float a beer right on his belly and never sink. Most of us couldn't do that. Well, Peter is a sinker. He floated for a second right on top of the water, but for a moment he, he was able to block out those howling winds and uh, I guess the spray in his face and focus on Jesus. But very quickly he remembered his class in physics that weight and mass and molecular structure would not hold the weight of a human being on water. And actually he got a little mental and he started to sink. Now, he'd gone, stepped out in faith. He started to sink. And I'm going somewhere with that, if you'll think about it. And he's overwhelmed by two powerful realizations. I'm not good enough to walk on water, and I'm not going to survive the same fears we have. So some people look at this story and say Peter failed. His faith wasn't strong enough. Okay, this is personal. Like Terry and Anita, my wife and I sold our home kept the, the equity, drove into San Antonio, a U-Haul trailer, two little girls, and no invitation to start what we felt God was leading us to do. And by the way, I didn't want to do it. That's for some of you that, that are having thoughts. I had those thoughts a lot before you did. I don't want to do this. Anyway, I wanted to be import-export business, which is what I was doing, flying airplanes. And I thought, I want a condo in Monte Carlo, and I want to be an arms dealer, and I'm going to be a big giver in the church. And God said, well, we'll see about that. So he, he had other plans for me. And I remember, we drove in. We had, nobody gave us insurance. Nobody gave us days off. Nobody gave me a health policy. Nothing. If we didn't make it, we're dead. And my deal with God was when that equity runs out, I'm out of here because uh, others wanted me back. And I said, I'm going to obey you as best I know how, and I'm going to risk everything that we've worked for. I'm going to give it up in order to start. Now, I say that to tell you this. When people criticize a water walker, I want to say, if you have never gotten out of boat and walked on the water, shut your mouth. Don't you dare criticize what you've never done. A water walker is a person by faith. I told our church, we were founded by risk takers. And if you want safety, don't get near me. Safe is a nasty word in the kingdom of God because God doesn't play safe. He's big enough to take on any adversary and put you in a lion's den or a fiery furnace and still deliver you. He's not intimidated by Kim Jong-un, the little Korean boy. God could sneeze and he's dead. You should quit worrying.
I doubt he got a missile that would reach Leesburg anyway. <laughs> Wouldn't matter. So it's fear of failure that keeps us from taking steps to grow our faith. What if I start reading the Bible, but I don't understand it? What if I try to pray every day, but I flub, I can't keep it up? What if I serve at church, but I don't do well? What if I join the choir and miss some notes? Quit. You can quit on that one. We don't want anybody up here that can't play or can't sing. Thank you. That is a talent. We can, we can handle the rough edges in almost every other area, but not up here. I thought for the worship team, I'd throw that one in, so save you. But, you know, sometimes it's easier to stay in the boat. That you got 12 guys, you got, you got 11 people in the boat, the boat potatoes. You got couch potatoes, pew potatoes, and they got boat potatoes. They weren't risking anything. It was Peter out there all by himself. Uh, you think about it. You read the Bible. I like to get in this thing and put myself in that deal. You bunch of chicken. Peter, you're going to die. Peter, you're not going to make it. Peter, nobody will come. Peter, nobody will give. You're going to starve to death. This is stupid. I don't need the devil ever to talk to me. I just hang out with Christians. <laughs> ever. You want unbelief, doubt, fear? Just get a bunch of uh, Christians around and let them have an opinion. Not one of them ever took a risk, but they got an opinion. Good. An opinion. Good. You know, I don't know. Uh, see, I don't really care what somebody like that thinks because they're not going to help the team. They're not going to advance the kingdom. They're not going to make a difference in the world. They're just going to sit and thinking, I did ministry. I sat. That's not any ministry. We got more need per square foot. People think because it's a big church that you've got everything you need. Nothing could be further from the truth. We need to give people a break. We need three worship teams. We need multiple people for cameras. People go on vacation. People get sick. Things happen with their children. We need huge servants and people to do help out teaching, opening a home. Some of you could take a home, say, I've got a nice big home. I can't teach anything, but I could open it up for a connect group. Well, that's serving. That's give. It's using what God gave you. It's not just burying it in the ground. You could advance the kingdom, make connections with people, encourage somebody, save a life. You never know. Maybe somebody else says, look, I live in a little trailer, but if you got the house, I'll go teach the connect group. I'll be the leader of it. That's what we try to do. Match people up. Use what you've been given. Time, talent, or treasure. Don't sit on it and squander it. Live like you're dying. Why is the will of God the most dangerous place in the world? Because God fears nothing and no one. To live outside God's will puts me in danger. To live in God's will makes me dangerous, and it'll make you dangerous as well. And some people, well, they'd rather stay in the boat than meet Jesus on the water. These boat potatoes. It's risky on the water, but it's just as risky to stay in the boat. You know, there's risk involved in everything, no matter how much we try to insulate ourselves. You know, you could stay in bed all day and be one of a half million people in America who are taken to the emergency room for injury sustained falling out of bed. You could shut your windows and be one of 10 people every year in America who hang themselves accidentally on their Venetian blind cord. So if you're looking for safety, you've picked the wrong species. Everything is risky. Well, Brother Rick, how do I know if this is the right one to marry? I don't know. Pull the trigger. 
What a dumb question. I mean, obviously, you'd have to like somebody. I mean, obviously, you'll want to marry somebody that's attractive to you. There's got to be some chemistry, right? Sure. Oh, please. Yeah. Well, she knows the Bible. No, no, she's ugly. I can teach her the Bible. I'm just trying to get in your head a little bit to make you think. No, no, no. That's, you want chemistry, but then there has to be some mutual vision, casting, a Christian, a believer. And we're going to be different. But at the end of the day, I don't care who you marry. If you put two people together, there's going to be pain. And if you can't take pain, don't become a Christian. Don't get married. Don't have kids. Don't run a business. Stay home in bed. I, you know, recently I, I, recently I had a, a sciatic nerve pinched, and my son-in-law, Adam, he's a spine surgeon, so he made this little bitty incision and orthoscopic shaved off a little disc to relieve pressure on that nerve. And it had really been hurting. So when I got, I jumped off the table and went back to the office, went back to work. And my secretary, Judy, and some of the other team girls in there said, are you pain-free now? I said, no, I'm still married with kids. Uh, <laughs> you're never going to be pain-free till you die. And the, most people want stress-free, pain-free. But it's not true. Everything's risky. Having kids is risky. Getting married is risky. Starting a business. Starting a church. There's risk involved in anything that's significant and worthwhile. What is it that's significant that doesn't have risk in it? What will happen to the economy? Will taxes go up? What's going to happen? No, no. If I heard God say, do it, send my heart, my heart's desires, he says, I'll grant you the desires of your heart. You've got a heart towards me. I'll, get, I'll make sure those are good desires. Go for it. So I've never felt it's the right time. I've never felt like the season is perfect. If he that waits for perfect conditions does nothing, Ecclesiastes says, it ain't never going to be perfect. Just be gutsy. I, I mean, how did the church raise a bunch of people afraid to fight, afraid of spiritual warfare, who are afraid when things happen bad and they don't know how to fight? I'm, I'm thinking, if you got in the army, surely they'd teach you how to fight. Surely they would. Well, we're in the army of God. Don't you think? Well, I don't know how to bind, how to loose, how to rebuke the adversary with God's word. Do I have to run down and get Terry to pray for me? I ain't got time. I went to a Benny Hinn concert, not concert, but one of those big sessions, you know, 30 years ago, and I thought I could die before he ever got to pray for me. 700 verses of hallelujah, hallelujah. I thought Jesus didn't take that long to pray for somebody. Be healed in Jesus' name. I rebuke you, cancer, in Jesus' name. We've gotten into this weird charismatic stuff. I'm spirit-filled, but Jesus didn't act like that, and it didn't take him long to pray. We think that style makes it work. No, it doesn't work. I was with John Wimber many, many years ago, and John had a, had a wonderful healing ministry, but he didn't get good results all the time. Sometimes he didn't get any results, and sometimes it was phenomenal. But the whole point was, and what his word to me was, Rick, when God's doing it, you could say anything. Jesus who lives at 107 in Nazareth, zip code 718, and God would heal. Or you could say, Jesus, be healed. It, if, he's, if the Father's doing it. But if God isn't doing it, jacking up tongues at a RPM uh, louder and faster is not going to make him do it. So Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. So when the Father's doing it, it's easy. Jesus said, my yoke's easy. I'm not getting a hernia praying for you. Where did you get Jesus doing that? No. John would just put his hand on somebody and say, come Holy Spirit. And touch him. 
just like that. I've seen some wonderful healings like that. Everybody didn't fall down. It's, it, the issue is, did I get well? Some people got more time on the floor than a rug, and they still don't know what's going on. That doesn't make you well. If God touches you, that's a beautiful thing, but it's not necessary. The issue is, did I get, did I get what I came for? And it will sustain a medical examination. Jesus told the lepers, go show yourself to the priest. Now, if I'm blind, you open my eyes. I don't need to go to the doctor. I see. I can see. That's pretty easy. If you're praying for a child, uh, you'll pretty much know you're pregnant. You won't say, I think I am. I'm kind of pregnant. You either are or you aren't. You know, it'll sustain a, an investigation. So everything's risky. Fear will never go away. Fear of not being good enough, fear of not surviving, or strong deterrence in life. It's a fact. And nobody likes to be a failure. But failure is not an event. It's a judgment we make about an event. Before Jonas Salk developed a vaccine for polio that finally worked, he had tried over 200 unsuccessful ones. And somebody asked him, how does it feel to fail 200 times? And Salk said, I didn't fail 200 times. I found 200 things that don't work as a vaccination for polio. And then when they found the mold on bread, they discovered how they could create penicillin that was a breakthrough medically. So when we contemplate you know, taking the risk to grow and strengthen our faith, to make the most of the breath that we have been given. The worst failure is not to sink in the waves. The worst failure is never getting out of the boat. Jesus is not in the boat. Jesus is out on the water. He's not in the barn. The harvest is in the field, and he's out in the field telling us that's where the harvest is. It's where we live, work, and play. So to try and succeed, that's glorious. You know, to try and not succeed, it's painful. But it's not failure. Failure is simply not trying at all. I didn't even try. So do you value growth enough to be willing to be afraid? Or is your fear avoidance so high that you're willing to pay the price of stagnation? Because growth involves risk, and risk always means fear. Always. So your choice is simple. Am I going to face my fear, or am I going to avoid them and become passive? I took my daughters when they were little girls to see Walt Disney movie, Snow White. How harmless. And sitting there, I realized what a horrible model she was for my girls. Here's a woman hiding from her stepmother because she feels helpless and afraid. She takes a job doing menial labor for seven short, cranky guys because she thinks she can't find more fulfilling work. And she sits around passive all day waiting to get rescued, singing, Someday my prince will come, gag me, a life of fear, passivity, and hiding. And I wanted my girls to know if you are ever in that situation. You confront that old bag of a stepmother. You tell her to come to grips with the aging process and that you have no intention to be the fall guy because of her neurotic insecurity and her fading sexual attractiveness. So find a good therapist and tell the seven short guys to get a life. If they can't handle the basic challenges of personal hygiene and housekeeping, they'll have to find some other codependent to enable their domestic passivity. And stop waiting for some prince to come around and rescue you. Build deep relationships. Get in a connect group. Find meaningful work. Serve the poor. And when it's time to choose a prince, let daddy decide.
Amen. A life of choosing to follow Jesus means fear never goes away. So you got to choose whether my ultimate value is going to be comfort or growth. And you'll never get a miracle in your comfort zone. The only miracles I've got were when I stepped out in faith and took a big risk. Borrowing money for this building, big risk. Borrowing nearly $50 million for our building, a dear God, awful, audacious risk. And everybody has an opinion. They think it's free. But we're the ones hanging by the rope, not to church. Well, we need to vote. You ain't voting because you're not paying and you're not responsible. Authority comes by being responsible. And if you're not responsible, you forfeit authority. That's why the state can take your children away. If you neglect those children, then you have now forfeited your responsibility and forfeited authority. Authority is only given to someone who is responsible. That's why you never find church votes. You do find boards, but you don't find church votes. You got everything from pagans to carnal to every kind of a critter out there who has no responsibility if things go bad. We do, legally, morally, and before God. And so I want to make sure the people around me give, serve, put up or shut up, one or the other. And they're the best people. They don't have to be the smartest people. They don't have to be rich people, but they have to be people who lead by example. You are what Jesus asks us to be, the best you can be. So who knows what potential is in this room? Who knows what's undiscovered sitting here? You have no idea what God could do with you. You say, well, I have a past. Well, join the club of humanity. We all have a past. Is that where you're going, or are you who God declared you to be now? He said, I don't, know. I don't have any, I'm sorry, I have no record of your transgressions. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far I removed it. Now I'm a commercial pilot, and if you go east, you never get west. And he says, as far as the east is from the west means never. That's how far I remove your sin and transgression. I have no memory of it, no recollection of it. As far as I'm concerned, you are the righteousness of God. You are the apple of His eye. You're in pri on the palm of my hand. Uh, you have access to the Father. You're, 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 you're a co-laborer with Jesus. He's your elder brother. I could go on in everything God says I am, I am in Christ. I didn't earn it, didn't deserve it. It's been imputed to me. So I'm just going to believe I am who Jesus says I am, and I can do what He says I can do. Who are you letting put limits on you? Who are you letting you hold you back? Sometimes parents can hold a kid back in a community. Well, son, we could never afford to send you to college. That doesn't rule out a scholarship. That doesn't rule out God doing something for this person in order to get them the money to go to school. But you've just stepped on a dream and killed it because you're still living like a pygmy. You don't have a big God. You've got a big problem. I've got a big God, and anything he looks at is nothing. He says, go ahead, make my day, I dare you. If I can hold the sun still, if I can back it up 10 degrees, if I can feed you with a dirty bird, a raven, if I can open the Red Sea, if I can feed you with water from a rock and manna, what is your problem? Yeah, I'll tell you what it is, living in too small a neighborhood or too small a town or too small a group of friends who think small. I can't do it. I'm not going to hang out with preachers like that either. Well, I went to my first ministerial luncheon when I went to San Antonio, and it was the last one I ever went to. I thought, you guys have not got enough vision to raise the wing on a gnat. Nothing. This is a, all they wanted was a discount on their little lunch. I, I found no boldness, no, nobody wants to change the world or do anything. And they just laughed and ignored me then. And I thought, okay, give me 30 years. We'll see. 
we'll see who's on that finish line. We'll see who runs the race. We'll see who makes a difference. And we'll see who lasts. That's another issue. You, you want to finish strong. I want to, I want to end this life well. And not, uh, I'm married to the same woman. If you've had a bad background, that's okay. But now you ought to know better and make this one count. Right? Sure. Get smart. Don't keep, you know, be like Elizabeth Taylor, have nine husbands. She didn't learn anything. Been fired from six jobs. Don't you think you could learn something? You know, if three people call you a jackass, go buy a saddle. Somebody, some, that's in the Greek. That's in the Greek and Hebrew. Okay, I close. I think quickly. So where is Jesus asking you to get out of the boat? Because when you do, the power of God's kingdom is set in motion in a way that changes the world. Nothing will happen till you take a step of faith. Nothing. Not one miracle in this Bible is recorded without God asking somebody, even a small thing, to do something that activated a miracle. If you sit around waiting on the lottery, you'll wait the rest of your life. Learn to give. Learn to be generous with a little. God says, I'll entrust you with much. But I, I don't think I can trust God. I might not have enough. Here comes the fear. You, you, believe, you can trust God to take you to heaven. You can't trust him with a dollar bill. Amazing. Amazing to me. I've been tithing since I was 18 years old because of my grandfather's influence. I was in a rock and roll band, a total pagan, a heathen. But he taught me, he says, son, you'll never be poor a day in your life if you'll honor the Lord. I did that when I'm in a rock and roll band. Bad, naughty, un immoral, uh, not, not a, a, a born-again believer. But I did that since I was 18 years old, and I've lived to see my grandfather's word come true. But tithing doesn't get you into heaven. It just gets you out of debt. It, yeah, that's a fact. God had a plan for you. He didn't want you broke and poor. He didn't want you with an ugly haircut and a, a lousy life. He didn't give you that. Disobedience gave you that. God says, my plans for you are good, not evil, to give you a hope and a future. God delights in the prosperity of his children. That doesn't mean a Lamborghini, but it does mean you'll have a good life. You have a decent car, a decent job, a home to live in, uh, extra money to sow, to help others in need, or some event, uh, charity that this church engages in. You, you, you won't be broke. Some people love Jesus, broker in the Ten Commandments. And I am thought, what a, God is my co-pilot. Get it off your car. Put Buddha as my co-pilot on there or something. Or Mohammed is my, uh, is my co -pilot. God can do a better job. I put God's my pilot. God going to be your co-pilot. I don't think so. I think he ought to fly the plane. Is, is this too hard for you? Uh, okay. So, the hospice patients have a valuable lesson to teach every one of us, me included. In many ways, they failed. Their bodies have failed. Medical treatments have failed. Every effort to extend their life has failed. One person who had previously survived stage four cancer said, I survived that. What else is there to fear? I understand now that most of what I feared, she said, isn't going to happen anyway. Our fears are usually not related to what really happens to us. In other words, your fear won't stop you from dying. It'll stop you from living. And that's got to be the worst tragedy of all. So there's a cost to getting out of the boat. You have to risk something. You know, no, no sense waiting for your ship to come in when you didn't send one out, right? And there's a chance that if you take a risk, it won't pan out. And you might start to sink, like Peter. And yet when he did, Jesus was right there to pull him up and deliver him.
and he will do the same for you. There's a reason that God and the angels always greet people in the Bible saying, don't be afraid, because fear is the number one reason people avoid doing what God calls them to do. So what's keeping you in your boat? Hmm? What's your reason for not risking more? not being generous, not serving, in, if you're a member here, in God's house, using your talent, maybe being a co-teacher in one of the children's ministries, or helping out, or passing out bulletins, or be a great face and a handshake and warm greeting to people coming in for the first time. You know, make every effort to bring your A game every Sunday, every week. No excuses. Well, I don't feel so good. If I preached on the days I felt good, I'd preach a couple of times a year. I, it, it, you know, my attitude being military is it doesn't matter how I feel today. I'm ready, I'm prepared, and I'm going to do a great job. And I'm going to believe God's going to change lives. And I tell, I'm a guitar player, a trumpet player, and a rock and roll guy from Dick Clark. And I said, I want you guys to bring your A game. You practice and make it good. I don't want Tina Turner and her group to show you up. I want you to bring it good. And I want people to get moved by it as well. So there's no place for sloppy, get by, uh, well, I'll, maybe I'll come, maybe I won't. Someday I'll get involved. Someday I'll give my life to God. Someday I'll get serious about getting help for this addiction that I've got. Really? And someday never comes. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the only day I have. And that means nobody can make you do it. Nobody can put pixie dust, motivational dust on your head and make you do it. It's not your wife's responsibility to make you do it or you her. It's up to you. You alone have control of your life. You can make those choices or you can reject them. And being willing to take risks means we choose to believe that God is with us even during the storms and that we can live our life free from any paralyzing fear. Yeah, we have moments we're depressed, moments we're in doubt. You know, we might sink a little bit, but choosing faith over fear, we dare to put our trust in God who stills the storms and who calls us out of the boat into a risky life of faith put into action every day. One last question. Where do you read in the Bible, God, Old Testament, or Jesus in the New Testament, asked anybody to do anything safe? I'll eat the page in front of you. It's not there. He asked them to do what they could never do without him. And that's the key. I couldn't do anything without him that's eternal or significant. And there's a, there's a real chance if you get out of the boat, there's a possibility you might sink. But if you stay in the boat, there's a 100% chance you will never walk on the water. And maybe the lesson to be learned from hospice patients can be summarized by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Don't go where the path may be. Go where there is no path and make a trail. Would you bow your head with me? You've been such a wonderful audience. All I want to do is just stir you up to say, get off that chair. Get out of the bleachers. Get in the game. We've got enough spectators. Let's get some players. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to be a Heinzman Trophy winner. But you have to, you have to start. You have to yield yourself. Find a place that you have some passion for, interest in, where you could be of help. You know, if I'm carrying something heavy, even if you can't lift as much as me, if you can lift a little bit, it'll help me with the burden. And so be a burden lifter, not somebody that adds weight and drag to the vision or your business or this house, this church. Be somebody that 
man, when I show up and see you, I'm glad you're here. You're going to make my life better, a little easier, because I got a good team around me. And we couldn't do what we do without great people that I can count on, whether it rains or snows or it's cold or they don't feel good, they're there. I, I, I'm there, I expect them to be there. In season, out of season, I'm there. If I say I will, I will. I don't need an attorney, I will. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. With our heads bowed, is God calling you to get out of the boat in some area? If he is, you already know it but you haven't done it yet. Maybe you've been waiting on someday. And maybe tonight, in your heart, if God's speaking to it, there's that feeling that I'm going to address this immediately. I'm going to deal with this issue head on, intentionally, not someday. I'm going to get on it starting today. If that's you, nobody's going to bother you. Just slip a hand up and take it down. Just slip it up and take it down. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Do you realize that if just that percentage of people that lifted a hand did something for the first time that you feel God wanted you to do, but you've been holding back, what can be released? I don't think we have any idea what could happen. And maybe you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you believe in God. Maybe you were baptized as a little child or christened in some church, but you've never with your own mind and heart invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You're going to do that one day. Right now I'm young, yeah, and you may not ever live to get old. Do it now. Make the most important decision now. Psalms 90 says, teach us to number our days. Boy, they are limited. They have a shelf life. Don't presume on someday. Do it today. That's an eternal decision. And if you're not sure that Jesus is your Savior, not you're a member of a church, you're, you, you've maybe never asked Him or you're not sure, could I include you in my prayer before I close? Nobody's going to bother you. Just let me know. If I can include you in my prayer, just slip a hand up and take it down. That's all. Come on. God bless you. I'm for you, man. We're here. We're, we're a family, a team. We want everybody in this room to succeed to do well, to reach your full potential. And I live with only one fear, and it ain't dying. It's not reaching the potential God put in me. That would kill me if I felt I'm not reaching my full potential because I'm going to give an account to that, Lord, and I want to know I did what you made me to do, and I did the best I could with it. That's all he asks of you. Use what you have. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I'd like everybody that raised a hand or wanted to, to pray out loud. I'm going to ask the whole church to pray so my friends don't have to be embarrassed. Would you all pray with me? Say, Lord Jesus, I confess you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. Come into my heart tonight as my Savior and Lord. Forgive my sin and give me eternal life. I receive it as a gift. I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. You deserve it. You finish the work. I receive it as a gift. Thank you. I have a hope and a future. And you have good plans for me. Help me have courage to step out in faith and get out of the boat and make my life count. Help me fulfill your purpose for my life in my generation. Thank you, Lord. It's not too late to live like I'm dying. Help me not save my life, 
but lose it in the kingdom of God, therefore saving it. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Come on, give God a good shout. Whoa, love you guys. Thank you. Hey, friends, thanks for watching today. And I believe that today's teaching was life-changing for you. We prayed that way, and we believe that it would. And so I just want to say in advance, thank God for how He changes our life through the power of His Word. I would um, encourage you today that if you've never made Jesus the Savior of your life, the Lord of your life, I would love to pray with you today and for you to make that decision. I can give you the words, but you have to surrender the heart. That's what's so very important. So I'll pray a prayer, and uh, you put your heart to it, and you pray this prayer after me. Father God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sins on the cross. I could never get good enough to come to you in your holiness. But I know that Jesus died for my sins and he rose again on the third day to give me a new start, a new beginning. So today I repent of my sins and I invite you into my life. And as best as I know how, I wanna serve you for the rest of my life. Fill me with your spirit and help me to walk day by day in your strength and your power. Man, I hope you prayed that prayer today. If you prayed that prayer, why don't you call the church office or let us know that you prayed that prayer. I have a book that I'd like to give you that'll help you know the next steps to take. Uh, giving a heart to the Lord is not just something that we do to get the guilt or the bad feeling away, but it's a life change. It's new things that we start doing and the book that I wanna give you will help you in that. Also, if you have any prayer requests, we'd love to join with you in praying about those. And uh, if the Father's house and these teachings have uh, blessed you and you've benefited from them, would you consider supporting the Father's house? Uh, first of all, through prayer and encouragement, and second of all, through financial support. That's how we continue to keep our missionaries going. That's how we're able to keep these sermon series going out to you. And so if you'll just ask God what he would have for you to do, I would really appreciate it. So just remember, here at the Father's house, we don't care where you've been. We just care where you're going. And I think you're going in the right direction. So I want to see you next week as you watch here from the Father's house as we bring you the word that will change your life.